Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Negro. I'm a partner in the Private Equity and M&A Group at Stagmanelli. For today's podcast, I'd like to welcome our special guest, Michael DeSico. Michael's a partner in the Private Equity and M&A Group here at Stikeman Elliott in our Toronto office. Mike, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Mike, we obviously do the similar kind of work. You're a private equity lawyer like I am, but obviously our stories are different. And we always ask our guests to talk a little bit about their own history, their background, and a bit about themselves. So I'm going to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So... I started as a summer student at Steichman and have never left all the way now as a partner. And over that time, have worked on a really broad range of different types of transactions, including lots of private equity transactions. During that time, worked on SPAC transactions, which were, as you know, hopped for quite some time. And I'm always watching the space for new and interesting types of work. And I think that's why we're here today. I, I love it when you create your own intro. Beautiful. Well, thank you. Mike, you're a very active M&A lawyer. You're very active in the mid-market, and I know you've taken a particular interest in the evolution of the concept of employee ownership trusts, and given the role that they could play in Canada, and frankly, the role that they play in other jurisdictions, I thought it'd be great for you to join us as a guest to talk about it. You've been spending a lot of time on this topic, written on this topic, been educating the community on this topic, and what it could mean for M&A activity, and maybe we could start just by talking a little bit about what is an employee ownership trust, or I guess the parlance for it is an EOT, and why is it relevant in Canada, particularly for deal flow, and even more particular for the middle market space? Yeah, for sure. So the goal of an employee ownership trust transaction is simply to enable business owners to sell their businesses to their employees. It's essentially a leveraged buyout for the benefit of the employees and the seller. So in terms of structure, at a high level, kind of what it looks like, it typically involves the following steps. So trust is formed and the employees of the target business are beneficiaries of the trust. Debt financing is arranged to pay the purchase price. Usually that takes the form of a seller note. The trustees of the trust negotiate the terms and conditions relating to the purchase of the target business. And the trust repays the debt over time using earnings that are distributed to it from the business after closing. So. In the 2023 budget, the federal government of Canada released proposed amendments to the Tax Act that would facilitate employee ownership trust transactions. The reason why they didn't work in Canada before the proposed amendments is primarily because there's a 21-year rule on the life of a trust, and after 21 years, it is deemed to dispose of all of its assets. So you could set one of these up now before the proposed amendments, but it would break in 21 years. The proposed amendments are expected to become effective on January 1, 2024, and the government's kind of going through a comment process right now from stakeholders in the industry who are interested, and we're working closely with various stakeholders to try to identify areas where we could improve the rules. And as you mentioned, they're in other jurisdictions, so primarily in the U.S. and the U.K. So in the U.S., they've been around since the 1970s, and the U.K. since 2014. And research on those transactions vindicated that you know, it leads to increased wealth for employees, obviously, because they're becoming owners of the business, increased resilience of the business during downturns, and increased employee retention. Mike, obviously, we haven't seen these transactions in Canada yet. 
but we're obviously thinking about implementing this because of the success that they've had in other jurisdictions. And I think you already hit on to it, you know, the U.S. and the U.K. experience in particular. Well, how do they work in the U.S. and the U.K.? Why are they attractive? What makes these transactions attractive in the U.S. and the U.K.? Yeah, so the U.S. model is, you can think of it as sort of a direct share ownership model by employees. And they own through share ownership plans that are regulated under the federal retirement plan statute in the U.S. In the U.K., the model is more akin to profit sharing. So employees are beneficiaries of the trust that directly own the shares, but the employees don't own the shares directly. In the U.S., employees have accounts and you allocate shares to these accounts. The employees don't pay for the shares with their own money. They don't pay for them through payroll deductions. They're just allocated over time based on a formula. They also don't pay tax on them when they get the allocations. So they accumulate balances over time and their shares begin vesting typically after one year of full-time service. And then the shares accumulate in the plan. And when an employee quits or passes away or is terminated or retires, then the shares are repurchased. Similarly, if the business is sold, the buyer buys the shares and that's when the employee realizes the value on the shares. So why are they advantageous? U.S. employee share ownership plans have a lot of tax incentives. So if you're an owner and you sell 30% or more in connection with one of these transactions, then you can defer the capital gains almost indefinitely. That depends really on what you do with the proceeds of the sale. But if you put them in certain prescribed investments, you don't pay capital gains tax at all. And then if you're an owner and you sell 100% and your corporation is in the U.S., what they call an S corporation, then after that sale, the corporation becomes completely exempt from federal income tax and most state income tax. So you can imagine you went from paying corporate tax to doing one of these deals. And now the corporation that you've kind of set this trust up for, for your employees to benefit doesn't pay tax at all. In the UK, you've got to sell a controlling interest to be under their rules. So 50% or more of the voting rights. And again, as I mentioned, employees don't directly own the shares, but instead the trust owns the shares and the employees are beneficiaries of the trust. The trust can provide annual distributions to the employees from profits, and that's based on a, a formula that's prescribed. And if the business is sold, then current and former employees are entitled to a share in the proceeds of the sale based on the distribution formula. In the UK, there's a certain look-back period. So if you left you know, a month before the sale, you still get counted. So there's a look-back formula that you can look back up to 10 years to figure out who's entitled to proceeds. And then in the UK, when you get those distributions on an annual basis, you can receive them as employees tax-free in amount up to 3,600 pounds. So lots of tax incentives in both the US and the UK to do these deals. And it's interesting, Mike, you know, they're so different, the US, the UK experience in terms of how they created them. I mean, they obviously, to your point, get to the same place because of the tax benefits. And obviously, I think that's the key on these. So when you kind of superimpose now what we want to do in Canada, how does the Canadian model look like compared to these other versions out there? So I'd say that we're trying to follow the UK profit sharing model, but we didn't match the tax incentives. So I'll go through it in a bit of detail, but you know, in order to fall within the rules in Canada, you've got to have a qualifying business transfer of a qualifying business to an employee ownership trust. And those are all technical defined terms that have conditions attached to them. So I'll just, I'll run through sort of some of the key conditions attaching to each of those. So you've got to have an employee ownership trust. That's a trust with two purposes. Number one, it's established to hold the shares of the qualifying business. 
for the benefit of the employee beneficiaries of the trust. And two, it would make distributions to the employee beneficiaries where reasonable under a permitted formula. The trust has to satisfy a number of conditions in order to qualify under the rules. Some of those, the most important ones, are that the mind and management of the trust has to be in Canada. Each beneficiary must be an employee of the qualifying business. So again, you can't have beneficiaries that are not employees. Trustees must be elected by the beneficiaries of the trust. If you were a significant shareholder or a former controlling shareholder of the business, then you can't be a beneficiary of the trust post-closing after you've sold. And then the, the formula for distributions to the beneficiaries has got to be based on their hours worked, their total salary, the total period of employment. You can't include other factors to try to figure out what their entitlements are. You've got to base the entitlements on those three factors. And then finally, Former majority owners of the business and their related parties can't represent more than 40% of the trustees of the trust after the business. So, you know, giving up control effectively. So the second part of that is the definition was the, what's a qualifying business. It's got to be a Canadian controlled private corporation and former majority owners and their related parties can't represent more than 40% of the directors at the business level after the closing. So you're giving up control at the trust level, you're giving up control at the business level after one of these deals. And then the sale's got to be a qualifying business transfer. That means it's got to be on arm's length terms. You've got to transfer control. So 50% or more of the voting shares and the former owners can't retain any right or influence that would allow them to control. So it's not like you could sell, but take back warrants that would give you control later on. And the primary tax incentive that has been proposed in the rules is that you can defer capital gains on the sale for up to 10 years, but every year you get to pay 10% of the capital gains. So it's a capital gains deferral for 10 years rather than an exemption. Mike, when I see what the benefit is, you know, I always look at it in the context of what we do every day. You're talking to a seller and they're trying to figure out what the best model is in terms of what works for selling their business. Is this model going to work? Is it going to be attractive enough? Is this going to become part of our lexicon? You know what I mean? Are you and I going to be talking to owners now saying, hey, maybe another option is you sell to your employees. Is this appealing enough from what you said? And especially when I compare it to what the UK and the US did. I don't know. It just seems like it's not as appealing as the American and the UK experience. I think, I, so I agree with you. I think the, you know, if the rules stand as they are, I think it'll be, a very devoted few who really want to do one of these transactions that do them. And there's two reasons for that. And the first and the most important is that the tax incentives are, you know, they're not enough. When you compare it to the US, the UK, right? When we talked about complete capital gains exemptions or significant deferrals, a 10 year deferral and bringing to paying 10% per year is not nearly as nice. And I think everybody we've kind of talked to that's watching this space is sort of agreed with that. And then I think the second major issue around it is that these transactions occur at lower valuations, right? We're not in a traditional M&A context where we're going to have multiple bidders bidding up the price or a strategic acquirer looking at a business and saying, oh, there's a ton of synergies here, so I can pay a little bit more. We don't have that in this case, right? We're going to have some kind of formal valuation that values this, but not a competitive process that's driving up the price. And then the other factor is that the sellers aren't receiving cash at closing, right? They're taking back a note to be paid through the profits of the business. 
So in this model where it's 100% VTB as the purchase price, and then say, hey, you have to also give up control the day after you sell and you have no control over how the business is run. Or I shouldn't say no control, but you're not in a position of completely controlling the business. You can still have up to 40% on the board, but you're not in a controlling position and then have not been paid your purchase price at that point. It's tough. And, you know, the U.S. and the U.K. don't have such a stringent requirement on sort of the governance. And so I think those are the two major things, the tax incentives and kind of how the governance works. There's some other problems that we've identified, you know, ongoing compliance, how you initially execute the deal. But those are the major, I think, two areas that need to be tweaked but before there's real uptake. So, Mike, in terms of where we're at now. So the government has created the draft changes to allow for this. It's January 1st, hasn't passed yet. I'm guessing we're in that period where there's the feedback going on. And it sounds to me like the feedback is this is not incentive enough to really make an impact on the market. But where do we go from here? Like, where do you think this is going to end up given where we're at? Yeah, like you said, it was a first draft and it was conservative. And they said, we're open to feedback from stakeholders and we want these to work. So at the end of the day, they proposed these rules so people would do these transactions. And so if the feedback is, hey, based on how you propose these rules, not very many people are going to do them. I think, you know, if we're constructive and how we give them feedback and thoughtful, we're hopeful that they're receptive to it. There's been some experience in other jurisdictions where people try to use these rules and game them, right, and try to make money and not in the spirit of actually selling to employees. And I think that's a concern from the government's perspective, but there's obviously ways to solve for that. And I think that's kind of where we're trying to steer them. If I could ask you, Mike, if you look at the U.S. and the U.K. experience and you were to say, what is, you know, an element that really makes it attractive? Like I noticed you mentioned in the U.K. lifetime capital gains exemption. Is that the trigger that you think they got to go to to make this attractive? Is there something you see in the other jurisdictions you say, if you have to put your hat on it, that's the, what they should do? You know what I mean? Well, what do you think is the real juice to the squeeze or whatever the right word? Is? Yeah, I think it is the the capital gains exemption, right? So if, if you're too, if you're a seller and you're looking at all your possible avenues and you look at selling to private equity in a competitive process and you know you're going to get a premium and you're going to pay capital gains. Let's say this is your business. You've had it since day one. So you're going to have a big gain, but you're going to pay capital gains. Um, and another option is, hey, I could sell an employee ownership trust transaction. I'm not going to get all of the cash right away, but I have faith in this business because I built it for 20 years that it's going to produce once I do the deal and it'll pay me later. But in that scenario, I'm going to get all that money and I'm not going to pay any tax on it. Then you could see how it would be a real option. So I think that is, is really the shoe that's got to drop to make from, from a financial perspective for people to really treat these as alternatives, like a sale to private equity or a going public transaction. And one of these as, a, as real alternatives, as opposed to just, hey, I want to do something from the goodness of my heart and enrich my employees, but I'm going to take less money and take more risk. Mike, if the government gets it right, if they create a lucrative program here where they really incentivize sellers to sell to employees, let's say the indefinite capital gains exemption, what's your take on the pickup in cash? Is there a right? I mean, we're a middle market country. There's a lot of the middle market deals that this could work for, but I want to get your sense, your active market participant. If you could sell this, what do you think the pickup would be if it was drafted? You know what I mean? If it was, if it was done right. I think significant. So 
Yeah, there's learnings from the UK. So the UK had rules in place for these transactions for a while, but in 2014 is when they really tweaked them with the tax incentives. And I think in the UK after that, they were doing over a thousand transactions in the UK a year. Wow. Wow. So I think if you use that as a proxy, there's potential in Canada for these to become real things for people to look at and for guys like you and me to tell our clients, hey, here's another option that you can consider. Mike, I appreciate the perspective. I be honest, we're probably going to have a Mike part two on ELTs because once we get this into place and see it in action, we're probably going to invite you back to talk about how it's impacting the market. So I look forward to it. I know you've been particularly active, not only at the firm, but in the community, kind of really trying to push a really robust program here because you see the opportunities. So I look forward to continuing this conversation and hopefully we get a good program because I think to your point, I agree that this is our marketplace is ripe for this kind of a program. Agree completely. And thanks for having me. No, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate you being here. And thank you again for providing some fantastically interesting insight on this topic. Okay.